there's a lot of strength in going through all the shit you have to go through. You know, you just got to keep your feet going, one foot in front of the other. Just don't stop moving, man. Just don't stop moving. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. I am very excited about today's guest. It's um, it's personal for me in that I've been watching this actor for a long time. He's been in a lot of my uh, favorite movies. I have literally quoted him for years, for decades, from his role on Top Gun as Viper. You're going to hear a list of some of the other huge movies he's done with Masters of filmmaking. He was the father of Brad Pitt in A River Runs Through It. He played a father figure to Tom Cruise's Maverick in Top Gun. That's the role I quoted him from. And I just need to check myself because somehow, shockingly, his reps came to me to see if he could be on 10,000 No's. Now, you're going to hear Tom talk about his humble attitude, his working class background from Detroit, and I feel the same way. I am so giddy that a superstar like Tom is asking me to be on this podcast, and I love it, and I'm so grateful for it. Today, I bring you actor Tom Skerritt. Tom's also a primetime Emmy Award winner for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series for his long-running show, Picket Fences. I want you to hear everything that he is up to. The day before we sat down and had our Zoom call, was his 87th birthday. I could not believe it. He's got such spirit, such fire in him still. As you'll hear me say during the interview, what really inspires me about him is that acting is really just uh, a part of it for him. It's a part of how he expresses himself. I feel like this is an interview that young actors need to hear to realize that, yes, you need to be dedicated to your craft, but you need to have a life and you need to pursue art in general. Tom paints, he writes, he acts, obviously, he directs. You're going to hear about what he's doing with uh, Triple Squirrels. You're going to hear what he's doing with Evergreen, these uh, channels that he started to, to bring awareness to the Pacific Northwest where he lives and to artists up there who have created some really beautiful work, but it's not been distributed. So he has created and curated this channel that is getting art that he feels is necessary out to people. And I, I just love it. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit about his upbringing and, and why he is such a, uh, just a humble working class actor who I consider 
a movie star growing up. And at one point he says, you know, he was like just happy to be along for all of the great projects that he was along for. But um, one of the things that I found in researching him, five films that he was in selected for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. MASH, Harold and Maude, Alien, Top Gun, Smoke Signals. Uh, early on, when he did MASH, Robert Altman, I mean, Robert Altman and Hal Ashby were this guy's acting mentors. They are kings. They are incredible. Uh, First film, as I said, with Robert Redford, Sidney Pollack. A long career, and you're also going to hear that it was not all smooth. He went through his nose just like the rest of us, and uh, he he just kept moving. He just kept moving and he continues to move. And I'm really happy to bring him to you today. I want to make a little announcement about my book, 10,000 Knows How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. It is coming out through Wiley and Sons Publishing, October 27th, 2020. We will put a link to it in the show notes. If you want to pre-order that book, we would love it. If you love this podcast, please rate and review it. Share it with your friends, your followers on social media, all that stuff. But for now, I give you the great Tom Skerritt. There's a lot of storytellers up here in the Northwest. uh, and They come out of the woods periodically. But this is uh, one of the most literate cities in the country, if not the most literate. And so it suggests we have a lot of people who know what they're talking about and understand what the, the value of storytelling, how much it is a network of, of uh, culture and society, you know. And um, yeah. I've always felt I was a, an English major in, at UCLA when I fell into this acting thing because I wanted to... I wanted to know what it felt like to act, you know, and you have to do it to really know. You can't explain the acting thing. It is in you to, um, any creative thing you pursue really has to be felt and you can't analyze it. So I just happened to be seeing acting in some theater and I just was very lucky to tell you the truth, Matt. One yeah. thing after another came my way, and I still kept saying I want to, but I want to direct. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, I was an English major as well at Boston College, and so I was late to the game. I had played sports my whole life, and and um, and I saw when I was, you know, kind of preparing to sit down with you. One of the things that. I was kind of surprised by, and and I don't know how much credence, you know, IMDb, I figure they have everything listed, but I think your first film credit, you were 29 years old, and your first TV credit, you were 30, which I was, I thought that was older than I would have expected because you've had such a prolific career. I just assumed, oh, he probably came out of the gate when he was, you know, early 20s. And, you know, by the time he did MASH, by the time he did these films that I knew about, he was, you know, he had been kicking around for 15 years or so. I'm wondering, you know, I want, I'm interested to hear that, that transition from English major at UCLA into 
you know, there's 10 year, there's a 10 year gap that I don't know about. And then I'm also interested in your childhood. If you were, was this something that was on the radar for you or not at all? Kind of like me. Not at all. I'm writing a memoir. People who know my life have encouraged me to do that. And, uh, I, it's very it's very revealing to do something like this. You remember things that you just totally forgot. Um, my radar screen was empty of anything more than just the creative bent that I know I had to get out of Detroit when I got out of high school and I went right into the service for, for four years so I could find out what's out there. I had an active imagination fortunately, provided by the school system that we had at that time when we had creative programs, you know, for kids. And um, I didn't have a clue. And other than I knew that I had to, when I was in the service, I knew I had to go to college and I had a GI Bill, and that's how I wind up at UCLA. And that's where I thought, well, I'm too introverted to do anything like singing or being in front of people and performing in any way. And um, that in, it, in and itself, of itself was really a lot of why I really went at it in terms of theater, not only to find out what it felt like, but I needed to face this issue of being shy and self-conscious by just throwing myself out there. And I, I think by and large, that's how I pursued my life is, you know, one step at a time. I don't know. None of us know what tomorrow is going to bring us. All I know is you just walk into it and you do the best you can each day. And um, the doing the theater was one of those things where I just ironically had to have, happened to have some guy out in the theater who liked, wanted me to be in a little movie he was going to make. And I thought, well, okay, it's the last term at school, but maybe I really should just do drop out of school and do this because I really want to know all about this stuff. And uh, as, you, as you know, we, we need to know more than just a, what acting is. It really has to be the collective experience that you have with the crew and cast and directors and all of those people. And so I thought, well, I'll do this film. And it happened to have a, a couple of other good New York actors, uh, Robert Redford and Sidney Pollack, when he was still an actor. <clears throat> and that's where my relationship with Redford started. Then I, there was uh, some TV director that saw me and hired me to do a couple of TV shows. Interesting guy. And I thought, well, I'm going to just hang out with this guy. What was the period between, you know, graduating UCLA uh, and when did you do your service time? So that's, that's what I'm trying to put together is like your, your childhood leading into this. What was, were you playing sports? You seem like an outdoorsman. I'm wondering if you were skiing back then or what, what was it? Cause you're in Detroit, right? And how, how, what was that like growing up? And what do you think led you to this? You, you said you had a, uh, kind of a, encouragement in the creative area through your school yeah i was through the schools pretty much uh i i really didn't have my parents were depression uh survivors basically and uh so they really were just still in that state and in those days of course you don't know you're living a life you live and i had no guidance 
basically, I know what to do. My dad's advice was uh, become a plumber, a carpenter, a tradesman, anybody, no matter what the environment is or economically, they always, people always need to have that taken care of and somehow or another. I just couldn't, I couldn't grasp that one. Fortunately, I'd had some, and as far as the uh, creative experiences I had, the school had some, the edu public education had these uh, programs for kids, to, you know, blocks when you're in kindergarten and a variety of things like that, uh, that uh, guided you uh, through a difficult time when your m imagination is first beginning to surface. That was what I look at as the way I, how I had began to have an active imagination about the possibilities of other things outside this blue collar neighborhood that I lived in. And I remember uh, them sometimes because I have to, I was writing about it not too long ago in this memoir of my mother getting me on the bus on a Saturday morning once a month when the bus would take us, school bus would take us to these venues. And I got off the bus and here's, the, the Detroit Institute of Art, which is a, an extraordinary museum. And the first thing I see is this Rodin's uh, this, the thinker. And I look at this guy, I'm circling him, and he's sitting there naked like this, you know, doing that. And I'm, for me, it was some guy sitting on a toilet uh, without the sports section, you know, <laughs> some naked guy. And... <laughs> And I go into the, so that's my takeaway from that. And I go inside and they have, inside they had this atrium outside that was, had this mural by Diego Rivera uh, on four walls. And it was obviously reflecting his communist uh, leaning rather aggressively. I felt that aggressive uh, feel, but I, most of all, it was what I felt was the daring to paint so, um, such characters, such force coming out from those paintings. And I couldn't, I, politics was not what I knew about. And it was just those beginning things that the school gave me and other kids, these opportunities yeah. to experience things like another time going to see the, the, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra being led or conducted for a symphony that night it was a rehearsal by Arturo Toscanini, the great conductor of the 20th century. And all of this stuff, I still have the imagery of it, was this old man well into his 80s walking out, barely physically disabled, that he was helping himself out to, the, to conduct. And what came alive was this man who turned into 30 conducting this orchestra and yelling at them in Italian, swearing at them, as it turned out. But I was sitting in the front row about with about 20 other kids watching this rehearsal. And this disabled man come alive and be 30 years old, pulling this extraordinary sound out that just knocked me over. And it, that one... All this made me realize there's more than this neighborhood I'm living in. I got to yeah. get out there, registered, yeah. so that when I got through a school, I was away. The first thing I could catch was a, getting in the service for four years. And that's when I went to UCLA. Okay. On a GI Bill. I had that. And 
because of this, I think this sense of uh, creative life, I couldn't put it that way, was there enriched by this, these experiences I had on these Saturdays at these uh, exposures to creative venues and that they had these little play with clay and, and paint things and song and dance and grade school really made a huge difference for me. And I think uh, it's, it's, for me, it's a concern I think we should all have about all those schools, being, all those programs, creative programs being taken out of public school. Yeah, I was just thinking that. And, and I'm also, um, it's inspiring to hear your connection to the arts and, and the, the why behind it, because I know what you ended up doing with, uh, is it the Red Badge, uh, the Red Badge uh, project? Um, how it, it sounds like what you've done, and you can explain it to listeners better than I can, but what you've done for vets with PTSD is kind of what you experienced that conductor what he did which was going from this disabled man to all of a sudden being alive with art and with connection and it sounds like that's what you did with the 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 vets that that were suffering from PTSD in getting them kind of connected to that inner life force and that that's what I I love about what what I do know of you is your, to me, it seems like acting is a piece of the pie for you rather than the whole thing. It's just one way of getting to the spirit, the human spirit. That's how I interpret it. You know, just various things I've seen you say and read about you. And I think it's beautiful when you hear it from a story from as a great, as a grade school kid going and seeing this conductor. It was a big deal, you know, and, and I didn't know that. Uh, that I, it, it, but it guided me subconsciously to leave Detroit to go across the country to expand my imagination, to get a better frame of reference on what I might do, whatever that might be. And uh, I, I think that's a lot of what affected me to be involved with the post-traumatic stress vets that were coming back from Iraq. I had started a film school, uh, a school called the Film School here, to teach storytelling to a, some very promising young filmmakers here in Seattle, who needed to know how to tell a story in film, and they needed to know, know how to write, how to formalize it, and all that sort of thing. So, uh, the post-traumatic stress thing, yes, that certainly I could relate to these guys in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons that I ne won't necessarily go into. I've dealt with other trying to help other people in difficult situations. But to be able to write about your experiences, the good and bad, is very much of a focus thing. And ultimately what we do as a living, the acting thing, is really, you have to be focused on what you're doing. Otherwise, I know I'm, I'm all over the place, personally. Yeah. And I've never really figured out who and what I am, which is pretty good because I write well and I, I'm a pretty damn good director as well. So I've got all these things and I paint, but I've been writing all the time. And that's really, writing is really the gift that I keep coming back to. It's something I can do and it's right in front of me to do. 
And, uh, and when you're writing, are you writing screenplays, novels? I know you're doing the memoir now, but are you doing short stories, fiction, nonfiction? What, what is it, or is it a wide spectrum of things? Well, the screenplay has been really influenced by Robert Altman and Hal Ashby in particular. Those were my two mentors. And um, I, they, they fed me well. They really fed me well with how to, the lenses and how to get, you know, how Ridley had put smoke in the background and Alien to get depth to it and lenses to use for that. And I was learning all this stuff. And it helped me as an actor to know how to, and also being a painter as well, composition became an issue because it's never been, acting has never been a close-up. It's how you compose yourself in the story that has to be told and how um, you, you listen to the right things from the director and you listen from the other things from another director. And I had the good fortune to be two of the with these two great directors. Yeah, I mean, two, two of the best. I mean, I'm just, you know, it doesn't get much better than the two of them. And they're both so actor-friendly. I've never worked with either of them, but from everything I've read, they're both the directors that want you to bring the goods and want to encourage you and, and let, let you off the chain to bring... I mean, I can't think of anybody better to be your, your mentor in terms of confidence, freedom, flow. You know, they don't seem like, uh, you know, they would be reining you in in a way that would feel you know, like that you would feel constricted as some directors could do. No, I, I, I had that right from the beginning with directors, you know, and uh, occasionally you run into a television director that really doesn't seem to like what they do. So you have yeah. that those issues, but you ride through the with television, you get through it. It's fortunate it's not like two months with the director who can't really get himself together. Um, yeah, that's that sinks deeply for me now, and and then be able to have um, the, the the alien thing, which was a whole other story, you know, and then suddenly, and I didn't want, didn't know whether I wanted to do the film because it was a two million dollar budget, and they didn't have anybody attached, and I'm offered this thing, and I didn't know that I wanted to do it until they told me that Ridley Scott was going to do it. I had seen a film just prior to all this, his first film, and I said it's a masterpiece. So the minute they said Ridley Scott, I didn't care what. So. That's how that happened. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is just really good fortune, really good fortune. Yeah. And you just have to continue to go, even though you get no's a lot of time. You have to go. It's, it's closer. All the no's you get are closer to yes. Yeah. Well, what do you think, though, because we had something where I don't know what was captured, what was not, because we got cut off before. But the fortune of, you know, it's fortune, yes. And it's also, I believe, you know, in somewhat creating your own luck and how you conduct yourself, how you, uh, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that your persona, your work ethic, your spirit 
doesn't have something to do with the amazing career you've had. Um, how, how would you describe coming to the, the first, uh, the first film, the war hunt? And I mean, Robert Redford and Sidney Pollack, that's, that's pr- again, pretty elite players that you're, you know, finding yourself in the company of what do you think it was that, what do you think it was that your special sauce that kind of brought these incredible people to you? And maybe you don't have an answer for it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're too close to yourself to see it. I'm too close to myself to see it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But I know that uh, I've sensed that this is all good fortune that I have to give back to other people. I have to do the best I possibly can. And I don't always do that. I always be self-critical about performance. I can never be, be, really be satisfied with, with the performance. Um, and somehow or another, I just have been able to get through this stuff, stumble on through it. And, and uh, yes, I am, have been creatively successful and able in painting and directing and, and writing as well. But it's always the writing. It's always the stories we're given, you know, to do, because we're always we're always doing pages and chapters as actors in a book written by somebody else, and yeah. we're not going to always translate it the way the writers want or the directors might want. But we do enough now that you do variations, as I was able to do with Robert Altman right off the bat. So he always allowed that. You know, I could stop in the middle of something and say, I'm, I'm on the wrong track and jump. It's just that rapport you can find with a director and with other actors, for that matter, when you know that you're... Um, you've got to always feel like you're not the best in the group, but you've got to try to be the best. Yeah. And that's really, I think, a big distinction. I'm still... Still working, working at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I believe it because I've said that to people. I've said, I, you know, I don't think I will, you know, sometimes if you talk to young actors and they think you've done some things and, and I, I always feel like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I better be learning more because I have to get so much better than I am right now yeah. and, and I'll never stop learning. You know, I'll never feel like I've got it. I'll never, I, I don't think. Um, and, and so it's, it's refreshing to hear you say that. Uh, and I'm, and I'm shocked on one hand and not shocked on the other, because that's kind of, in a way, that's the allure of, of this is that it's not so, it's not something you can grasp or have a formula to. Sometimes it's working. Sometimes it's, it's it's that chemistry with whoever you're you're working opposite. It's the material, um, and so you so you end up you do that film with Redford and Sidney Pollack. Uh, that was that at the time was that a big deal to you or was it like what was the what had been happening just prior to that? Like, what was that? That's what I'm kind of getting at. Like, I'm, I'm very interested in this guy who hadn't done anything. And then all of a sudden, what were you in LA 
kicking around or were you in New York? What was that, those lean years, what were they like for you? If, if there were lean years? Yeah, well, I was, I got out of the service and I wound up, I married, I got married too young. And so I was married and, and, uh, I believe, I, I, it's a long time ago, but I believe I, I, somewhere in there she was pregnant. And uh, this job came along before I got out of college. And uh, the job also was, a, you know, not big money, but it was inexpensive film and some really good actors that I could watch and learn from. And I, I'm on the set and I'm learning all this stuff about all the mistakes that, are made with a low budget film and and then I had a child to support so the responsibility of a father was something I've always uh, struggled with because of the work we do we go away for a while and we our kids are need us at a time we can't be there you know that's always been a difficult one and I think that's yeah. that's the one thing that I carry with me that I I deeply am sorry that I wasn't able to be when my kids, unfortunately, my first wife exhibited paranoid schizophrenia after a second child. So I was dealing when I was making MASH. Uh, the minute I had a couple hours, I'd run home and see whether she was stable or not and see whether the kids were all right. So I had that kind oh. of life with a lot of situations. After the success of MASH, I couldn't take some films that were out of town because I had to be home. So it was really about that. But this is the only way I could make a living. I would try to go out and get maybe too long between jobs, which we, we live. I, I had to try to find work. So I'd sandbag hills, whatever I could to make to feed the family. So those, that's, that's my reality. It's not like other actors. E even even yeah, after, after MASH. Yeah. 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 And I was, I just had the good fortune of having, you know, somebody in Italy wanted to be, be, me to come over and do some Italian movies over a three or four period. So I went back and forth to try to, I had people who were taking care of the kids, but you know what I mean. You gotta be with your yeah. kids. You just gotta be with them, and and always feeling guilty about this. And I developed a form of post-traumatic stress myself. I recognized by teaching post-traumatic stress. So it's connecting up with reality always for me. I had a reality that was intense, and I could embed that. And looking back on that, I realized, in some way, there's a lot of strength in going through all the shit you have to go through. You know, you just got to keep your feet going, one foot in front of the other. Just don't stop moving, man. Just don't stop moving. And yeah. we're able to talk about that. I'm able to, I have the health to be able to share this with you and the freedom to say what I feel because I've done nothing intentionally wrong in my life, you know, just bundled along and made it this yeah. far, and I, I, you know, now trying to put this triple squills together, which is an offshoot of the storytelling aspect of it. When we have a lot of good filmmakers here that, and around in the whole Northwest area, we realize we don't have, I mean, I'm cutting into this because I really think this is the end result of all of this, is that I, 
give a damn about this community. And I give a damn about the imagination and the loss of it in this country. Because we're dealing with that in a lot of ways, politically. No one's understanding that, oh, I'll not get into that imagination thing because that's, I, I spill over with that one. But going back to the triple squirrels idea of taking, having a way of distributing films that everybody thought they could get onto iPhones and iPads at one point. It was one thing, but the other thing is revenue source. And that over a period of five or six years of trying to figure out, because things were changing so rapidly the last five or six years, that I just had to come to this point where I've got this extraordinary CEO, Leslie Grandy, and, and she just said, oh, this, and I said, oh, that's it. And now we have all this collection of 150 hours of really worthwhile, uplifting, good material about a variety of things, from cooking to Dale Shahuli to um, fishing in the best rivers in Idaho. And that's really enriching for me to do this. Jesus, it feels so right. And is that... So the triple squirrel and evergreen, are they one in the same, are they one in the same thing? Okay. Uh, to qualify that is uh, we were invited to join the um, channel, a stir app. And uh, they gave us a channel and we named it evergreen, E-V-R-G-R-N. And it's now on. It took us a while to collect what we needed to have to fulfill the deal. And um, Leslie Grandy pulled all this stuff together pretty much from all over the place. Really nice stuff. Uh, 15 minutes to feature length that just never got distributed. It's yeah. all, it's everywhere. But we feel that a, we want to really shine with the Northwest element right now. Yeah, it's such a great concept. And I had a chance to go to that I guess it was Stir. I went to Evergreen, and then I, I think it was within Stir. But I looked around a little bit, and seeing the variety from documentaries to, you know, the homemade section that was about the the people kind of living in these unique living situations, like building out a bus or, or a log cabin. It was really cool, and and um, and what I like about it is, again, I I always talk about. You know, on this show, but just going back to what you said about getting through the hard times, that's the that's the the, the subtitle, like kind of the the tagline for this podcast is failure is opportunity, which comes from my dad used to say that to me. Failure is just opportunity in disguise, and it really is. I think you have to go through those battles and those you know failures. I put it in quotes. That's where you learn the lessons and to see that in a way your whole entire that whole business model is all of these films according to some scorecard oh that's a failure they didn't get distributed but what i like is that you're saying no these are great stories this these are great storytellers they need to be heard and let's not go by this whatever the scorecard is that determines whether it gets distributed. Let's go for the quality. Let's go for, and I, I love that. And I love that it's also local um, and that you're, you're pulling people 
you're sharing something that you love with people that may not know about it already. It's great. I, re- I really think it's, it's, it's really inspiring. It's really nice to make people feel good. Like we've, <clears throat> unfortunately, we got to a point where we were stamping, rubber stamping feature movies out of um, the, what now is having a lot of problems. I mean, we just had these frightening, terrifying, aggressive films that it's, it's this, we, we live in and make a living in the most influential of all media and film. And it really shocked me what was happening in terms of those shock movies and scare things. You know, it's, it's the psychology of the social, the social uh, uh, rejection of, of, of that is I just. So that's why we don't have any of that on our, our channel, Evergreen channel, yeah. which is 284, by the way, if you want to. I guess you may have found that out. But yeah, we want to just make you feel good and make you think also in terms of, hey, uh, I have not been able to work for a year and a half now during all of this stuff. And coronavirus is really holding me back from maybe doing really I really wanted to do. And now you see somebody wanting to build a motorcycle. We have that thing out of nothing, it was called. Some guys up in Bellingham wanted to make a uh, motorcycle out of scrap metal. And now they're trying to make it, design it so that they can break the world speed record for a motorcycle on Salt Lake in Utah. I love that kind of stuff. We all do. Now, isn't yeah. that going to provoke you to stimulate your own what you want to do to see somebody else, five guys of different personalities, different education, but they all have the same singular view of getting something done that no one else has done. Oh, man. Yeah. That's ultimately, I think, what we, all, we all want to come out of our lives feeling that way. It's a fulfillment yeah, and- thing feeling connected and feeling, feeling alive. Um, and, and, you know, I, I thought, uh, I spoke to a, uh, an acting school in Vancouver, like a, a week or two ago, and they were mostly younger actors that were more on the beginning side of things. And I thought as I was preparing to talk to you and, started to learn about what you're up to now and how you, how, you know, here you are with a career that any of them would, would give their, their right arm for. And what I find interesting and empowering for, for me, and I think would be great for, you know, young actors like this group to hear is what's the, what was your experience of those being a part of some huge uh, commercial successes? Um, I, I would imagine that that's, I mean, I can think of it for myself, it's probably on a smaller level, but some of the things that I've been a part of that, it's not that external part, how it's received is like, eh, it's the experience itself that is usually what I take away. What about something like Top Gun, where, I mean, when I was a kid, 
I remember, you, you know, I, I don't know, I was in high school when that came out and it was huge. And then in college, it was one of those things that was just kind of always playing in the dorms. And like I said, I think I said before, we were quoting it all. What was that like now that I'm older and I'm an actor and I look back and I go, you know, how how many days were you on that set? You were in quite a bit of the movie, very integral part of it. But now I look at it and I go, okay, it was it was a gig. It was a gig that was a huge job. Um, what was the experience of that? And what were the external, the, the pros and cons of being a part of something that's kind of a zeitgeist movie like that? Well, first of all, Tony Scott was going to direct. And I'd met him very briefly when I was doing Alien with, uh, with uh, Ridley. And... Um, I, when I read the script and felt that it was a solid screenplay and then heard Tony was going to direct it, I wanted, I wanted to do the film. I didn't know that Tom was going to be involved until I got in the office. I met Tom and had a nice exchange with him, lovely guy. But he was 25 years old, and I think he was just really collecting his career together like, he knew he was taken off, so he was getting ready with the, learning how to fly, uh, figuratively, yeah. as well as it turns out, uh, literally. He does have his own aircraft, several of them. And uh, so he's lived a good life, but that I knew the minute I met him and put him together with Tony and saw the script. And then the music, the music in that film, I thought was just, it made it, Lived it to be basically the first MTV movie. You know who I interviewed on this show is Kenny Loggins. Oh yeah, yeah. I had Kenny on the on on Ten Thousand Nos, and we talked about that and some of the other sound. He was known as like Mister Soundtrack at, at one point. Yeah, but yeah, but the the score was incredible. Yeah, too. Oh man, yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's to me carried it. That lifted it right up there for sure, for sure. And it was matched to the rhythms of the planes, which are sexy. Those things take it off, and yeah, it was. Uh, that was a pretty extraordinary experience. I love watching Tony direct because he was similar to his brother, but he had a little more. Um, there was a little more laughter with him because yeah. Riddy was trying to, he was doing it all. He was running the cam, operating the camera. He was relighting according to what he wanted. He was like Orson Welles was with uh, making Citizen Kane. That same kind of, he's got to do everything. Yeah. And uh, that's what made the Alien what it was. Was that attention that Ridley had and the attention that, Tony had in terms of paying attention to little details. Yeah. In the performances, in the framing, in, in everything you're saying. And yeah. you adjust your performance to that too. Just the movement yeah. of your hand, you know, the composition stuff, which you learn by, as I do a painting, you learn composition and textures and stuff like that. So both of these guys were artists as well before they became directors. And and when that movie, so when you were filming that movie, did you suspect it was going to be the giant hit that it ended up being, or or did that 
catch you off guard and 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 how did that affect your life? I feel like that was one of those movies that <laughs> and particularly, you know, your role, as I said, very prominent, I would imagine maybe sometimes to an annoying uh, degree where you have a, a, you know, a role like that in a film like that, and then it can, it, it's great. And then it can also be like, okay, enough about Viper. Let's move on. Look at everything else that I've done. I, I, I'm just curious as to how that worked out on a, you know, on a life, uh, in, in your life. That's hard to say. You know, I just knew all the time I was really being very fortunate. I yeah. have never thought of myself as being, um, well, the actor I, other people might see me as. I always thought about uh, the storytelling, the story, always the story. And what I'm learning every time, every mistake I made, every blunder, every more that than, boy, am I good. I never could get into that ego thing. And yeah. I think it's, as much as anything, the, the ego thing is what, not having that, having the humbleness from being a blue collar kid, all that stuff has stayed with me. The way I learn that there's a world, there's a gift out there for me somewhere, and it's creative without being able to verbalize it at that time I was doing it. Just an impulse driving you because you had the frame of reference from all that early on stuff in education. And yeah. that's really what I have to, I put a lot on to that early time. And, and you said about being a kid, you know, you, it's that stuff that happens early that bolts you out there into the blue. And that's really, yeah. I just kept wearing, doing one thing after another. And soon after Top Gun, I did um, uh, Steel Magnolias, which was the second time I'd heard with, worked with Shirley MacLaine and some other actors. And, and, you know, working with these people, these movie stars, because I never thought of myself that way. But this is, wow, I'm working with Shirley MacLaine. Oh, I'm working with uh, uh, Helen Mirren in, in a film. And, and Max von Sydow, and I'm, wow, she's lucky me. That's all I've ever really seen it as. What a fortunate man! <laughs> and you never, and you never thought of yourself as a movie star. You thought of yourself as kind of. That's funny because I, I wonder if those people thought of themselves that way because I, I think of you. You know, I mean, I, I've, I would have, I would have put you. That's how I would describe you. You know, I mean. There's the Tom Cruises, the Brad Pitts. I get what you're saying, but I feel like you're. It's just interesting to hear. I, I you know, that's that y you felt like you were kind of. Hey, I'm I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to contribute. You know. Yeah, I'm a very. But that it really comes from those early years. It all yeah. comes from that those early years. What you heard, your dad advised you. My dad uh, had a thing that he would say. I had two older brothers, and they were quite a bit older, each one of them. Lovely guys uh, who are now gone, but he would say when he'd get mad at us, he'd say things like, uh, you'll never amount to anything if you don't listen to me. That's not the thing you say to your kids. And we laughed about it. We made fun of it when we were apart from him because he was kind of a scary guy. 
And um, I just always felt that that is a damn shame that he did that because he was a better man than that. He was just a man who was in World War I. He had, as a 17-year-old, he was driving ambulances across through war zones, picking up dead bodies. He had post-traumatic stress. So yeah. I lived with that. And I see it now all as some remarkable gift that's held the humility and the humbleness and the gratitude for such good fortune to have five kids and five granddaughters now, all of them well and wonderful. And I ain't got no complaints, man. Yeah. <laughs> I could yeah. have been better. I, mean, yeah, I could always be better. That's how yeah. I see it. I could always be better. Well, it's, it's funny that you say it's a damn shame that he did that. And yet I was thinking, and you kind of said it after I was thinking it, was that that very environment that you grew up in is what contributed to this workmanlike approach and this humble approach and this, you know, you know, this is the first time I've ever spoken to you, but no airs about you. You seem grateful, uh, happy, uh, acknowledging what you have. And, and as painful as I'm sure it was, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that coming from that can make you realize how fortunate it is to not have, you know, an iron fist over you or, or, uh, you know, the financial challenges, whatever, whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, if you can help someone else do it, you know, it's really largely what I've looked at and often uh, forgetting that I got to help myself get there first, you know, and always somehow or another finding a way, you know, if you got to clean up your trash, you clean it up, man. I learned that when I was uh, young, and, and uh, it's a lot of what I want to give our audience. Again, I keep circling back to uh, Triple Squirrels because it's just such a gift to be able to do this. You know, at a yeah. time that everybody, a lot of other people are really having a tough time in this, you know, and you guys working down there. <clears throat> I've had my really the best stuff. You know, I've had that good fortune, that track that somehow or another, whatever it is I've got, I tr made me someone that they wanted to hire. And that's all I see is not that I'm magic or anything, but other people may see it that way. And it's how other people take us. That's the best of what we've got. And that's the best of what we have to do as actors and writers and directors and painters and all of it. Is you can always be better. That's always yeah. driven me. Yeah. And and by the way, I don't want to keep you forever. I know you have other things to do, but I, I a few more questions before I, I wind it down. Um, you're writing. You've talked about it several times. That seems you've talked about story. That's where your heart is. Is the, is the writing something, you know, logistically, I'm actually wondering, habits, writing habits, are you, 
And have you been for decades or are you, are you someone that gets up and you discipline yourself to write every day or does it come in spurts and flows and sometimes you're hot and heavy with it and sometimes you're completely off with it? You know, I, my wife keeps, Julie keeps saying, you got to organize yourself. You got to focus. <clears throat> and that's so. And I try to write when I can. I don't have a regularity about it. And uh, our daughter is now um, really developing, evolving as a really good tennis player. In fact, that's part of the delay we had was uh, the getting her home after a, some competition that she had over in Bellevue. And um, our life is a story, man, you know. Each one of us are living our own story. I can't seem to get over that fact. that That's all we really are. And if we can make it a real good story by helping other people, man, and you can reach other people by helping other people, not only helping them get through a door or helping them get across the street, but what we give them creatively, how we can inform and activate their imagination. That is what I love with what we're doing with triple squirrels. If we can activate that imagination in a way that a lot of people just haven't had the opportunity by saying, yes, you can. Don't tell me you can't. you got to try. And if you don't, it doesn't work the first time, damn it, try again. Yeah. yeah. Try again. Very in line with what I'm so, what I'm doing here. Very I'm much in line kind with of shotgunning it. at all, you know, with all that information, the questions you're asking. I know I can't answer them directly because I don't live directly. You know, it's it's like playing basketball. You know, moving around and ooh, hey, I missed because yeah. I didn't time it right. Timing is such important stuff about this timing as an acting job. The fortunate that I've had. Both sides of it, bad timing and good timing. But I know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny? I'll digress for one second. I, I told you before, I've been learning to surf. And my son also, now my daughter, slightly, she's been resistant. There are, you know, I kind of leaned into it because of this quarantine and we live so close to the ocean. And there are so many lessons in learning how to surf that I think will serve me as an actor and just as a human with timing, with effort and relaxing, with, you know, not forcing it, but going with the flow, positioning where you get when you see the wave, spotting the wave. You know, there are so many aspects of it that that it sounds like you, it, it, your, your approach or your view of of life sounds that way. Like it doesn't, it doesn't sound like you're, you know, you seem to work on instinct quite a bit. I rely on that pretty much, but I, I had good information. As I said, I go back to the, when I was a kid, I got knocked yeah. around, you know, and, and, uh, learn how to either avoid something or to deal it straight out, you know, and, um, nobody came away wounded terribly, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, it's all a roll of the dice, you know. You you get to, with a lot of stuff, teaches you how to get on the board and stand up. And you're going to fall down. 
but damn it, it felt kind of good for a moment there. I think I tried it a little bit more. And life is that. That's, you're describing a life on a board. It's not a bad way to go. You know, there's yeah. a rhythm to it and the timing about it. And, you know, it's all this. It's dancing out there on the surfboard. It's, oh, yeah. I tried it one, years ago. I wasn't very good at it, but I sure loved it. I'm I'm not very good at it, but I'm getting better, and I love it, and I'm I'm hooked in. There's a there's a meditative aspect to it, and I'm just kind of you know I'm very I, I feel like it'll stick for a while, but I'm not good. I'm not pretending to be good, but I'm getting better. But uh, all right, I'm gonna let you go. I got three questions, and then I'm gonna let you go. Uh, first one: the word "no" means what to you in terms of you know career and the obstacles and all that you're closer to yes the more no's you get you know and you just that's i think a lot of what i was just talking about you know all those stuff i had i had issues i had to deal with at home that was a big no you can't go to work on this job you can't go to work on that job you know but i gotta make a living and it's the only way i'm making a living i don't know what else to do and things would happen i think because i just kept knowing that yes was going to come along. That's a great answer. When things fall apart, you know, things are going haywire, do you have a go-to mantra at all? Do you have any kind of uh, philosophy or maybe it's an actual mantra that you that you use? You know, I heard an old man once when I was a kid, which he was jabbering away and, there were a couple of us, and he finished talking. I didn't, and we didn't understand what he was saying. But, uh, and this gets back to something I said earlier, because um, it stayed with me. And this kid says, the kid, guy finishes rattling on, and the kid says, so how did you get to be so old, mister? And he says, I just keep moving, kid. I just keep moving. And I think that's my mantra. Just keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's, I, I often find myself saying, just, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Get knocked down, get up, one yeah. more step. Yeah, one foot um, in front of the other, right? <laughs> yeah, one at a time. Um, last question. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Ah, yes. Again, I think that's pretty much that same. I certainly would not say what my dad said, you know. I would say, try again. Keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep moving, kid. Don't wallow. Don't wallow above anything else. Don't feel sorry for yourself. A little bit. <laughs> a yeah. little bit. You know, you got to have that. That's, that's human. You know, you might feel defeated, but you're still standing. It's that fight. I, I remember as a teenager, I was learning how to box. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I got kept, this guy keep punching me in the nose with a left jab. And uh, I gave up fighting because he kept beating me with the, his left jab. 
So, and it made me sneeze. I was yeah. allergic to a punch in the nose and I gave up fighting. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, there's no linear thing to our lives. And now it's becoming much more linear because of the way everything that's going on. And the linearness that we're stuck with, fortunately, we're creatives. We can do what you're doing now. This is creative. I can talk to you about this stuff and you know what I'm saying. You understand all of this stuff. That's rapport, and that's really what we would love to have with more people. And it's, it's just, it's, a lot of it's just inexplicable. It's just how we feel about people, yeah. about what we're doing. Yeah. It's how we feel. And if you don't yeah. feel good as a little kid, tomorrow's going to be a new day. That's beautifully put, and I'm I'm so appreciative that somehow your reps knew about this podcast, and and y you're here, and I get to I get to sit down with you and talk to you. You're you're full of wisdom. I, I really appreciate it. I, I know the people that listen to the podcast are going to love this. So thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. And and we will we will put links to everything that you're up to right now, so that people can. Hopefully we drive some traffic that way. Maybe people, you know, in LA will take rides up the coast to the Pacific Northwest if they uh, get exposed to it. You know, nobody's flying. Oh yeah, that's a nice place to live. I think it's probably the safest place to live in the, right now in this country. You know, we're sensible. We wear masks and we stay away from uh, big groups of people we don't know. Yeah. And that yeah. seems to work so far, and that's all we could do right now, you know? <laughs> that's good. You know, man, it's really and been a pleasure. I, I really have not talked about all this stuff. It's, and it's really, I just, I'm just honored to be able to talk with you about all this stuff. You're a good um, guy. I, 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 feel, I feel honored, and thank you for being so open and, and so articulate about it all. It's, uh, it's, it's really, a lot of the things that you said, I sense them or have a sense of them, but you put them in a, you know, a slightly different light or, or just with your more experience than me, you know, shed a different light on it. So I, I really appreciate it. I, I feel like I'm, I'm the one who's indebted to you. So really appreciate it. Thank you. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right, time for my top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, creativity isn't something that can be analyzed. We often get caught in our own heads when we're artists trying to pursue a career through our art, and sometimes we lose the fun of it and lose our connection to the creativity itself. There are only so many books you can read before you just have to do your art. Any creative thing you pursue really has to be felt and you can't analyze it. Number two, Tom says it twice in the interview, you just got to keep moving. When we feel down, defeated, scared, it's easy to stay stuck in our bubble and not explore outside of it. I love the way Tom says, I just keep moving, kid. I just keep moving. We just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if we don't really know what we're going to do next. Number three, I include this next quote because I love the passion behind Tom's voice when he says it. And I think it shows us that no matter how old we are, he turned 87 the day before we spoke. 
we really can make a difference. We really can pursue our dreams. And when those dreams are tied to the betterment of the community, that really is something special. That I give a damn about this community and I give a damn about the imagination and the loss of it in this country because we're dealing with that in a lot of ways politically. All right, Tom Skerritt, thank you again. I hope all of you, particularly the actors, feel as inspired as I do. Check out Evergreen and Triple Squirrels. There are links in our show notes. And please share this episode with your friends and followers if you think it can help them to hear it. Leave a review or take a screenshot on your phone and post it to your social media. Be sure to tag at 10,000 Knows and at Maddie Dell if you post it to social so we can thank you. Connect with us at 10,000knows.com and get added to our mailing list. We'd love to have you. And don't forget, tune in for our brief little Monday morsels to kick off your week every Monday and pre-order my book if you dig this podcast. There's a link in our show notes, 10,000 Knows, How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. That is the title. Hope you get it. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.